we never know what a day will bring. For Moses, what began as just another day doing the same old thing ended up with what we might call a radiant encounter with the creator of the universe. It was an intimate interruption by the one beyond all labels, by the one who simply is, by the one who will be what one will be. Today's psalm gives voice to this intuitive, intimate reality. O oh God, you are my God. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a barren and dry land where there is no water. For your loving kindness is better than even life itself. And my lips shall give you praise. These past few weeks have been challenging for me and perhaps for some of you as well. The shootings in the New Zealand mosques and the evil spirit that inspired them was a punch to the gut. And I can't help but feel or sense a cultural and spiritual malaise in the air. And I feel some of the shock and grief that goes with all of that. Maybe it's what the Hopi people call koyan sikatsi, that is, life out of balance. To prepare myself to hear and ponder today's gospel reading from Luke, I engaged in a cosmic meditation that somehow helps me put things in perspective. So, I'm sitting in my office in my chair and I begin to visualize myself rising above myself as if I were someone else looking down upon me and I, I come up uh, above All Saints Episcopal Church on the University of Texas campus and I rise further and, and I begin to see the city of Austin sprawled out and I begin to see the Texas Hill Country and where the Edwards Plateau hits the plains, and I keep rising, and I see the southwestern United States, I see the northern hemisphere, I keep rising, I see our little globe, and I see our globe in its place, revolving around the sun in our beloved solar system. I keep rising, and I see our solar system placed so perfectly in our own galaxy, the Milky Way, and I continue to rise and I see other constellations and I rise and rise all the way into the heart, into the mind, into the eye of God, the creator. And then I sit and dwell. And I take a breath. And I'm silent. And then I begin to descend. And I return on my, my trip back and I, and I see the constellations and I begin to see our own Milky Way and our, our solar system embedded in that galaxy. And I see our, our beloved Mother Earth, our planet, so vulnerable, rotating around our own sun. And I come further and I see the United States, the southwestern United States, the Texas Hill Country, the city of Austin, 
beloved All Saints Episcopal Church on the campus of the university, all the way back into my chair in the office. So when I returned and came back to time and space and read the gospel for today, I got this picture of Jesus who is on his way to Jerusalem with some urgency where he knows he will be killed and it's as if he sees men and women rushing to their destruction like people in the days of Noah before the flood they seem oblivious to their predicament they're asking all the wrong questions they are caught up in crises of their own making And some of them are trying to get Jesus to think in terms of their crisis. Interestingly, placed just before and just after today's reading in chapter 13, Jesus calls this group of people hypocrites. Hupo, under, sub, crites, from the word Judgment or making a choice that always precipitates a crisis. The root meaning of hypocrite basically is the word sub-crisis. As theologian James Allison puts it, a hypocrite is someone who is determined to be primarily fascinated by a pseudo-crisis. These are apparently people who are saying to Jesus, The big issue is Jews versus Rome. So would you please pay attention? But for Jesus, this is a sub-crisis that blinds them to the real crisis at hand. So here's what happened. Apparently, the Roman governor, Pilate, has killed some Jewish freedom fighters from the northern region of the Galilee what Pilate would probably call terrorists. And these Jewish freedom fighters from Galilee were in the temple apparently making a sacrifice. It's in the midst of that sacrifice that Pilate comes in and has them killed and their blood commingles with the blood of the sacrificial lamb. The Jews who bring this unsubstantiated rumor to Jesus are outraged and confused. How could God allow such an evil thing to happen? Had the Galilean Jews done something to deserve such sacrilege? At the least, they expect Jesus to show outrage at the Romans in support for their cause against Rome. They want Jesus to take a stand, choose a side, justify their cause, explain how God could allow such a thing. Jesus' response is surprising. Basically, do you think that because they suffered in that horrible way that they were worse sinners than others? Do you really think God is on one side or the other? You want me to condemn evil in Pilate? But I'm not talking about Pilate. He is not here. I'm talking to you. Evil forces are at work in your own violent movement that will destroy you if you're not careful. 
pilot or no pilot. You must repent or all of you will be destroyed by those same forces. It's not about who's more right or who deserves or who deserves what. What kind of game are you playing? Get your own heart right with God or you will end up just like those Galileans. Jesus uses the incident to call them away from playing the victim, from that blaming and that fuming and that analyzing and that justifying, and he calls them into a radical new change of heart, a reorientation of their attention, an opening of the heart, true repentance. For one never knows when their time is run out. He then reinforces this by referring to another tragedy, the fallen tower at Siloam. Again, Jesus uses this to point out the urgency of the times and to plead for repentance. Now, in 1998, um, I was diagnosed with a very bad illness, and I was terrified. I, I went into shock and denial, all the predictable things, I, it was an out-of-body experience. I was in a fog. And, and so I had to go into the hospital and, and do a biopsy to, to discern how bad it was and figure out treatment options. And I was paralyzed with fear and asking all the wrong questions. And I remember in recovery after that surgery, coming out of that fog and, and my wife Gwen comes up and with a big smile she says you're going to be alright my father-in-law gives the, the, the thumbs up and, and what I had was not nearly as bad as what was predicted and so I dodged a bullet and yet that wake up call woke me up I began to reorient my attention I began to repent the hardening of my spiritual arteries was addressed. The heart softened. I opened up in a fresh new way and began to realize all over again, wow, life is a gift. Whatever time I have, it's, it's to be celebrated and passed on. That is, we must love while there is still time. It seems to me that Jesus, out of eternity, through these words in our gospel, addresses this angel at All Saints Episcopal Church, that, that Jesus is addressing the spirit of our own community and is speaking to the spirit, saying, don't be afraid. The time of growth is coming. Keep your heart open. Don't create sub-crises when the real crisis is at hand. That is, your, your orientation before God, before yourself, before your beloved. So it, it's as if Jesus says, don't forget, you're the beloved. Hear only the voice of blessing, not the voice of cursing. 
come to this table this morning and let the holy sacrament of our holy communion fertilize the fig tree of your heart, as it were, so that it can begin to bear fresh fruit, new fruit, to continue to give God a good reputation in this community and in this space. May it be. Amen.